Morning, church. It's a joy to worship God together. I do have one quick announcement. Uh, and, uh, well, two quick announcements. Right? The first, and we don't have slides for these. Okay, the first announcement is thank you. On behalf of the pastoral staff, I want to thank you, PC, thank you, deacons. But thank you all for your generous gifts, your, your, your prayers, your encouragement to us this month. It means a lot to our team uh, on behalf of the pastors. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We do love you more than you know because you are God's people. Second is that we forgot to print it on the bulletin, but next Sunday uh, we actually gain an hour. So everybody should be on time to church. Okay, um, and so so next week it is the it is daylight savings. We gain uh, an, an extra hour. Okay, so mark that there for you. All right. Well, how many of you guys are continuing to use your prayer guides? Can I see a raise of hands? This is also research to see whether or not you know we should take the time to do this again. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, but how many of you guys are actually using this? Okay, great, excellent. Okay, so we have one more week to go. So if you, if you notice, we've been in a four-week series entitled Blessed to Be a Blessing. And what we're doing is we are going through a process of preparing our hearts to enter the building. If you've followed the theme, you'll notice that it's really not about the building. The building is good, but God's people have always represented the church. The church has always been represented by God's people. And so we, we started by a process of remembering the past, namely remembering our salvation and remembering the people that God used and the local churches that God used both to implant the gospel, preach the gospel, to disciple us, and to grow us in faith over the years, and just to praise God for that, and to realize that we don't deserve salvation, we don't deserve to be part of God's chosen people, but yet it is by his grace, and through the sacrifice of many, and through the sacrifice of specific individuals over our lifetime, that God has grown us and brought us to this point as Christians, as individuals. Then we went through, on the second week, rejoice in the progress. We looked at not only the progress of what God is doing here at FCBC Walnut, but the progress of sanctification in our own lives. We took time to, to talk about the importance of confession of sin, and then to look at how we need to be together in growing in holiness and in building together. Then last week, Pastor Terrence led us on realizing the purpose, that the purpose of being God's people from 1 Peter chapter 2 is that we are a corporate body, a priesthood of all believers. If you remember from last week's message that Jesus is the cornerstone, he is the living stone. And we, like Jesus, are living stones. So when Jesus, or when the New Testament authors describe the building of God, it is not a physical temple. It is a spiritual temple where we are both the structure, we are the living stones, and we are the priesthood. So that blows my mind. How can we both be the external structure and the people serving in the temple at the same time? And that reminds us that it's nothing like the Old Testament temple that the building of God is actually not a physical building, that it's never been about the building, it will never be about the building. It's always been about Jesus and his people. And so that gives us then the proper perspective that when we actually enter into a physical building that we thank God for, that we thank God, yes, there is this building, but we remember that it's all about Jesus, it's all about people. We don't deserve not only our salvation, we don't deserve anything that comes with that. So that gives us that motivation that we need to reach people. 
That the purpose of why God gave us that building is one, to reach the next generation, two, to reach lost people, and to disciple those who are young in their faith. It's really not for us. It's about the community, right? So the title of today's message is Reach the People. Reach the People. So if you have God's word, will you take it and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 9 to 10, and we are going to be taking this topically. We're going to be taking this as a topical or thematic exposition. By way of last week's message, we set the context. We set the background. So I'll give you a moment to turn there. A moment to turn there. First Peter chapter 2. I don't have the clicker with me today, so sound team, if you'll go ahead and just click through, just try to follow me, don't worry if you mess up. <laughs> just put the big idea up there at the end, and, and that's all we need to do, okay? <clears throat> so point number one today, point number one today, point number one is our privilege, our privilege what we see from this passage from verse 9 is that Peter describes the New Testament people of God as a people redeemed for God's own possession. And he uses a number of phrases. And this terminology reminds us of privilege because Peter uses Old Testament terminology of privilege. And so that's what we're going to see from this passage. Notice in verse 9, Peter writes, and the you is in a plural. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now what he's doing is he's talking corporately to the New Testament people of God, and he's using language that was used to describe Old Testament Israel, which means if you were a Jew during the Old Testament times, you took pride in this type of language. And you said, yeah, we're special. We're the chosen people of God. What does that mean by default? We're the chosen people of God. That means everybody else is not. And Jesus says to the religious leaders of Israel, you've kind of missed the point. The point of being chosen by God is to reach the people, to reach the Gentiles, and to proclaim Christ. Right, so the Israel's, Israelite leaders, the Israel's leaders, they missed the point. Now, now if you're a Jew and, and you heard this in the Old Testament context, we are a holy nation, which means everybody else is sinful and evil. Right, again, they missed the point. The whole idea of being holy, which means to be set apart, to be a set apart nation, was so that the Gentile nations would see a city on a hill, a, a, a nation that was meant to be a light to the world so that everybody would be drawn forward to worship Israel's God. And then when it says, you're a people for his own possession. You see this type of language in Exodus 19, Isaiah 43, in Hosea. That Israel, out of all the people of this earth, God chose Israel to be God's people. They, they, were, they belong to God. Again, this is language of privilege. So when you have language of privilege, you can say, yeah, we deserve this. We were born Jewish. We're chosen by God. Or you can say, you know, God, why did you choose us? 
Deuteronomy says, out of all the nations of this earth, you chose us. Not because we were bigger, not because we were better, not because we were more righteous or holy or more deserving, but simply because you wanted to be faithful to us. You chose to set your love upon Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? So there's a proper understanding of privilege, and there's a misunderstanding of privilege, and we call that being spoiled children. Being spoiled children, right? And so then... Peter describes God's people as a royal priesthood. This is all language of privilege. Now, if you remember from our series, now some of you guys weren't with us, but three years ago we preached through 1 Peter. And some of you Bible nerds are like, we remember that. Okay, so you pull out your notes, right? But if you don't remember, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Remember who Peter is writing to. He's writing to people spread out across Asia Minor. And so in 1 Peter 1, verse 1, Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, chosen, but you're dispersed. You're chosen, but you don't belong in this world. You're chosen, but you're a foreigner, which means you might not have rights of the Roman Empire, but you are chosen. You might be Jewish in background, or you might be a Gentile in background. But where are they? They are dispersed now in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So it is very likely we all agree That in Peter's readership, the people receiving his letters, these are Gentiles. Many, many Gentiles. And so you're a Gentile hearing Peter's words read to you. And you're saying, I'm not Jewish, but wait, I'm a chosen race? Because Jesus says his people are Jews and Gentiles, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. This is language of privilege, that if you're a Gentile, you're like, how do I become Abraham's seed? How can I become Jewish? Well, you don't have to be. You need to believe in the son, the greater son of Abraham, Jesus Christ, the true and better Israelites, holy nation. I'm not Jewish. I'm not from Israel. I'm from the Gentile nations, and I trusted in Jesus. This is language of privilege. You see the underlying message that Peter's sending? You don't deserve to be God's people. You don't deserve to be God's people. You don't deserve anything. But by his grace and mercy and love, he saved you. He called you out of darkness. Now, into his marvelous marvelous light. Now there's weight, right? A people for his own possession. But all throughout Old Testament history, Gentiles were not God's people. Those people over there, the Israelites, those people, that's God's people. But now if you're a Gentile spread across Asia Minor, you're part of God's people. And if you're a Jewish Christian, you're like, yeah, those Gentiles, those are my brothers and sisters. Royal priesthood. Royal priesthood. Remember that Jesus Christ is both king, he's a greater son of David, yet he is our high priest. He is our royal priest. And because we are meant to be Jesus' people and chosen to be Jesus' people, think about for a Gentile what it meant to be royalty. You had to be from the line of one of the Caesars or you had to kill Caesar, right? That's how they did things back then. 
Still happens in other places in this world. So how could you be royalty if you're not connected to the king? And if you're Jewish, the only way that you're connected to the line of royalty is if you're connected to David. So if you're not connected to David, you're not and you cannot be royalty. But yet Peter says you're part of the royal priesthood. Language of privilege that we don't deserve, yet Jesus accomplished for us. Priesthood. This is a Jewish thing, right? If you're Jewish, you're like, what does it mean to be part of the priesthood? Remember, you had to be from a certain family line in order to be part of the Levitical priesthood. If you weren't part of that tribe, if you weren't part of that family line, you could not be a priest. And what do priests do? Priests had a certain privilege. The role of a priest was to mediate worship. And what does that mean? That means you worship God. That means you point people to the worship of Yahweh. You mediate worship. You pray on behalf of the people. You stand in between a holy God and sinful people. That's what Jesus did. Jesus is the king. He's royal. Yet he is the priest. He took his stand on the cross and he hung in between the wrath of God. He stood between the wrath of a holy God and sinful man and he bore our sin. And we, all of us, through Jesus Christ, we become part of the royal priesthood regardless of whether you're Jewish or you're part of the Levitical line or whatever your family is, whatever family line you come from. And so this is language of privilege. And when we read this as New Testament Christians, it's more than just theological explanation. It reminds us of privilege, that we are a people redeemed by God. And we are meant then to live for God. And this leads us to point number two. So if we are people of privilege, point number one was our privilege, then point number two is our proclamation. We are called to proclaim. What are we called to proclaim? So because we are people of privilege, privilege that we don't deserve, our proclamation is that we are a people who proclaim stories of ongoing redemption. Beloved, if you allow me to, we're going to spend a lot more time here on point number two. That point number three is going to be a little bit shorter. Okay, so point number two is where I want you to think of practical application. And I want you to really take the time to meditate and think upon what the Lord is saying to you specifically as an individual. Because what makes us a vibrant church is, number one, it's Jesus. But what's going to make us a vibrant church are individuals who are constantly experiencing redemption, that ongoing redemption. That's what makes us vibrant. That's what makes us attractive. You see, what makes us attractive is everyday missionaries. When people come and they come into this church and they meet us, it's not that we're perfect or sinless. It's not that we don't have problems. It's not that we haven't yelled at our kids or, or gotten in conflicts with our spouse or, or gotten in conflict with our roommates or cheated on an exam or, or talked bad about someone or, uh, or, or some of the Clipper fans that talk trash to me. No, I'm just kidding. You know? <laughs> I, I got love for you because we're the family of God. Right, we're the family of God, but please don't walk around here flexing like Patrick Beverly. That's not a sanctified way to live. <laughs> but you understand, right? It's, that's not what makes us attractive. What makes us attractive is that we are messed up people, and we're honest about it. 
and we're saying, you know what, I'm broken. I have real problems, but it's Jesus that makes me whole. Now, first, I want you to see the text. Then I want you to really think hard on application. Don't skate out of here and, and tune out of here, okay, and, and just go out here without getting this because I, I believe this is where Jesus wants to shepherd our hearts. Notice here in the second part of verse 9 that Peter says, our role is to proclaim the excellence of excellencies of God. To proclaim is not just to preach, but to proclaim is to speak and to tell of the story of redemption. What are we to proclaim? The excellencies, not of us. That's the point I'm trying to make. We never say, I'm great. I have it all together. I'm good. I figured out Jesus. I read my Bible. I prayed. I'm better than, than, than the non-Christians next door or that person down there. Right? That's not our message. But we proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ who did the gospel work of sanctification in our hearts. He saved us when we couldn't save us. He opened our eyes to the, to the truth when we were blind and stubborn. And even as professing believers, we are stubborn in our sin. And he kicks us he reminds us, he drags us into reality. And when we say, God, I don't think I want to listen to your word, he says, no, 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 look, you don't listen to me, you're going to have consequences. And we're like, I don't think, I, I got this on my own, I got this handled, God. And then we fail, and then we come back to him like dogs returning to vomit. And what does he do? He welcomes us, not as dogs, as children. That's the excellency. The excellency we proclaim is not that we got it all together. The excellencies we proclaim is that God is good and that Jesus is good. And if we admit that we are broken and in sin, that we are a perfect match for Jesus Christ. Jesus wants broken people. Jesus wants people who say, God, we are nothing. You be our everything. That's the excellencies. It's his glory. And notice the of him to proclaim so we don't stay silent that means all of us have stories to proclaim. But it can't be about our achievements. We proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What's his marvelous light? Let's tackle that one first. Marvelous light is the light of his kingdom. Marvelous light is the light of truth. Marvelous light is the role of holiness earlier Peter exhorted his readers, be holy because God is holy. It is this life of sanctification. It is, is this life, it is the life that is in the realm of Jesus' kingdom. It's not a life of perfection here on earth. We get perfection in heaven. But right now, it's this life where our eyes are open to the truth. But if you understand that, you'll understand what darkness is. If you'll look over at 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 14 and look at verse 18. Notice in verse 14, Peter talked about, he talked about the, the darkness. The darkness is when you can't see, right? You're blind to the ways of God. You don't know any better. And how does Peter describe this darkness? He says, of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy. So what did he call us out of? Out of darkness into his marvelous light? Out of our former ignorance where we didn't know Jesus. But let me push at you a little bit. When you were in your former ignorance, 
can you take a moment to remember who reached out to you? Or if you said, you know what, I just felt broken, I, I, I needed to seek out the church, I needed to seek out Christianity, was there someone who ministered to you? This is where we realize, right, the whole process of remembering the past and rejoicing in the progress. Not only was Jesus gracious to us, opening our eyes from a life of ignorance to the truth, but he put people in our lives. People that we respected, not because they had it all together, but because they were proclaiming the excellencies of God. That's the everyday missionary. That's the disciple maker. And so these are the people God placed in your life. But guess what? He calls us to be the same type of people. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile or futile ways inherited from your forefathers. You stop there. See, there is a way of life that we were born into from our forefathers. It was useless. It had no eternal value. But we were rescued. That's the context. So 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us very clearly what darkness is. Darkness is the way of the unbelieving. Darkness is the way of life apart from Christ. Now, here's where we want to get real with application. If we are to proclaim the excellencies of him, then he needs to keep working in us. You know, a lot of times in our Christian life, we think about redemption and we think of two steps. We think of, wow, you know what, I got to deal with God, and that's good because that's where we need to start, which means at some point in your life, if you're a Christian, you said, Lord, will you forgive me for my sins? I am a sinner, and, and I know I got to deal with you. I have this guilty conscience, or I'm hearing the gospel proclaimed to me, and I know I'm a sinner, okay? So I got to deal with God. And most of us, if you're here, you've dealt with God, which means, God, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I want to live for you. Uh, I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to learn about you. I'm dealing with God. And so you go through life where you're going to struggle with sin. You're going to struggle with moments of doubt where you go through some type of trial. And you're like, God, I don't know if you're that good to me. And then, and then because you're still here, you're like, God, you are good. Okay, and so you deal with God. And guess what? You've got to deal with people. There are some people that you can hide from, but you can't hide from your loved ones. You can't hide from the people all the time, right? So if your sin, your separation between God starts to affect the people that are around you, you start to move towards reconciliation. Otherwise, it's a miserable life. So you deal with God. That's the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. So there's that darkness that you were in. You dealt with God, right, at least at some point. Then you start dealing with people, asking for forgiveness, reconciling relationships. You ask for their forgiveness, maybe. Maybe you forgive someone who sinned against you. And so you go on in life, but there's one person that you forgot to deal with. You did deal with it in terms of with God. Maybe you received God's forgiveness. Maybe you received someone else's forgiveness. And who's that person? It's yourself. Some of you guys, you will get here. You talk to 60-year-old men. Strong Christians, successful in life. Everything's fine with their parents. Now, they, now these men, their father is about to pass away. And in their hearts, they realize, man, they're hurting. They don't know how to face it. 
because they've never heard from their father, son, I'm proud of you. But wait a minute, you're a Christian. Did you deal with this? Yeah, 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 you're good with God. You dealt with it. Did you deal with your dad? Yeah, 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 I have no problems with my dad. I understand. I understand. You know, my, my dad's a Christian. He's going, what's wrong with you? Six years, there's nothing wrong with you. You've never taken the time to apply the gospel to that part of your life where maybe your dad is so Asian and he's never said he's proud of you, but you just need to hear that your heavenly father is proud to call you his own despite your sin. That's what I'm saying. When you talk about redemption, you need to deal with three people. There's darkness in your heart. You come from a place of sin. You deal with God. You have to deal with God. That's why you're here. Otherwise, you have a guilty conscience. Then, of course, you're going to deal with the people, right? But as time goes on in your life, and some of you, it's not that, that, that father's story, right? It's another story. What is it? Maybe... You lost a loved one, and if you've never forgiven yourself for not sharing the gospel with them, but Jesus has forgiven you already, but you haven't applied that part of the gospel to your heart. So, you, so you, you're kicking yourself. Maybe some of you, it's, it's a mistake that you made. And look, Jesus forgives you, and you know that. And other people are forgiving you, but you still walk around thinking like you have to prove yourself to God, like you're not good enough. I've met people who said, Pastor, I won't ever go to church because I made this mistake and I don't think God can forgive me. I'm like, you know what? God has forgiven you and he will forgive you if you truly repent and even other people will forgive you. But how come you won't believe that God's forgiveness is sufficient to cover your own guilt and shame? I understand this in my own life. Many of my personal struggles with pride or my failures come from a chip on my own shoulder. I just, I'll always remember my fourth grade teacher. Of course I forgive her. I don't know if she's a believer. I was so bad as a fourth grader, she told me, you will never amount to anything successful in life. I'm so glad she told me that because after I became a Christian, I said, I will never be a failure. But you see how that's driven from a man-centered, fleshly, I'm going to prove someone wrong? I always remember that in my family, I got two sisters. They're, they're younger than me. There's three of us. And in terms of academic achievement, I'm the worst. I'm the one that brought the most shame to the family. I'm the one that brought the most shame to my mom. And I know what my mom went through. I never forgive myself, I thought, right? But then I'm in ministry. This is like 30 years later. And I'm sitting there saying, I will not be the dumbest one in this room. And so some of you, you say, Hanley, you're a nerd. You know, I'm not really a nerd. I love to study, but there's something driving my study. And I didn't realize that. I mean, I'm reminded of it, but, but even though I'm telling you right now, there are days I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I will not be dumb. I will not be dumb. I will be the sharpest, smartest one in this room. That comes from pride. I want to proclaim my excellencies of overcoming my shame from my childhood. What is it for you? You see what the Lord is teaching me is, Hanley, you haven't applied the gospel to your heart. You don't need to prove to your mom. You don't need to prove to anybody else. You certainly don't need to prove to people. What you need to show is the majesty of Jesus Christ, the excellencies of him who called us from whatever former life you come from. And if that's who you are, then you have a story to share. 
So some of you are sitting here today, you're like, you know what, God will never forgive me. God can't use me. He can only use the pastors and the the deacons and the leaders. I can't share the gospel. I can't disciple anyone. Look, if you're a perfect person, then yeah, you can't. Because then you don't realize you're a sinner. (laughs) But if you can sit here and say, look, I have a lot of, don't say, oh, I'm not perfect. That's a cop-out. Say, I'm a sinner. I struggle with sin. I have pride. I have shortcomings. I have dark parts of my heart. I, I have idols in my heart. If you're honest, God will use you. And imagine a congregation full of people who are broken, who understand that we have a story to tell, that there are people out there who are broken, and they don't, they don't know Jesus And they're not looking for perfect people without blemish. They're looking for people who can tell a story that I am broken and Jesus is not done with me yet. You see, if we go out there telling people I was messed up but now I'm all good, that's not believable. What makes our testimony powerful is that we're consistently proclaiming the fact that Jesus is never done with us. That is the spiritual structure that makes us a vibrant church, then that is what makes us reach the people. And that leads us to point number three. We realize point number one, our privilege, that that it is such a privilege to be God's people, but that privilege comes with a responsibility, point number two, our proclamation. Point number three, you guessed it, there's a P, our pardon. (laughs) Our pardon. It should be that we are people of mercy, but you know, I wanted the P, so forgive me for that, okay? Our pardon, but just be thankful it's not our predestination, right? Our pardon, a people marked by redemptive mercy. I, this is what keeps us broken and humble. I need this every morning, and I think all of us every morning, we need a daily dose of God's mercy. We need to remember that we are a people marked by mercy. Look at verse 10, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. It says, In verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's the proclamation, is that once we were not people of God, this is corporate language, meaning we weren't part of God's chosen people. We weren't good enough. We weren't righteous enough. We didn't belong to the Jewish people of the Old Testament. Maybe there's someone in here who's Jewish or half-Jewish. But for the majority of us, full-blooded Gentiles, we weren't part of God's people, but now we are God's people. Now, once we, we had not received God's mercy, mercy is something we don't deserve. Remember that mercy can't be earned you, you know, you never go around telling someone, hey, please show me mercy because I earned it or I deserved it, right? You ask for mercy because you know you're wrong and you're like, I, I really need mercy. Please have mercy on me. And then when you give people mercy, it's not because they earned it. It's like, hey, you're so good. You've worked so hard. I'm gonna give you some mercy. That just doesn't flow. That's, that doesn't, that's not how it works. For the wages of sin is death. Wages is what you earn. Wages is what we deserve. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is is mercy, grace, and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Mercy is something that we cannot earn. It's purely a gift. You can only grab it. You can only say, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I, I don't deserve it. This is a privilege. But I'll receive the mercy. And if we are a people of mercy, then we have the answers for our brokenness. We have the answers for the dark spots in our hearts that need further sanctification and redemption. So what we see applicationally from our passage is that our story tells this. His mercy becomes our praise. And our struggles that are now being redeemed by him become his boast, his excellencies. Do you understand that one day when we get to heaven, all of us will be singing worship songs to God and none of us will be singing, worthy is me or worthy is my pastor or worthy is that person or worthy is me because I've overcome. We're all gonna say worthy is the lamb because we couldn't, but he did. And he is gonna look at the father the son, Jesus Christ, could look at the Father and said, I'm so proud, and it's good, good proud. Jesus is proud. I present you my perfect bride. Is that our brokenness becomes his boast, meaning he looks at all of the broken people that he has sanctified and made holy and beautiful, and he hands that bride over to his Father, righteous and holy. As we are a community marked by mercy and filled with his redemption, we are a community filled with stories of hope and redemption. So today, the big idea this morning is this. Jesus' people share the privilege of experiencing and proclaiming stories of ongoing redemption. Jesus' people share the privilege of experiencing and proclaiming stories of ongoing redemption. Now, most of you, you have your prayer guides. If you'll notice this week's prayers, I want you to look at Thursday. Well, you don't have it in front of you. I just realized that, right? Some of you keep in your Bibles, but I'll read it to you. It says this, Thursday, Pray, thanking God for delivering you from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. Ask God for daily courage for, to live for your king. Pray that God's light would shine through you. Right. So this is, a, this is a place where you on Thursday ask the Lord to give you courage to live for him. Right? That the Lord would work through you. But in order for you to get to Thursday, you need to go through Wednesday. And Wednesday is the hardest exercise. So for some of you who are like, well, you know, I'm going to do like every other day, please do not do the even days, Tuesdays and Thursdays. If you skip Wednesday, Wednesday is the heart work. I don't like to call it hard work. It's heart work. Wednesday says this, pray, thanking God for declaring you a citizen of God's holy nation. Keyword, holy nation. Ask God to search your heart and confess any unrepentant sins. Ask God to help you prioritize heavenly values over worldly pleasure. So part of that process is saying, God, where are the parts of my heart that I haven't given over to you? Meaning, 
I've kind of received your forgiveness. I know you've forgiven me. I profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I try to live for you. I, I've tried to reconcile all my relationships. But God, there is stuff in my heart where I'm still trying to prove to myself, to you, or to others that I'm good. And you need to deal with that. The last thing we need is a thousand people rolling into the new building trying to prove them. So I'm, I'm sure that's not a lot of you. Trying to prove to everybody else that you have so many spiritual gifts that you need to serve God and that's your value. But that starts with your pastors. Right? We have these struggles too. And so we want everyone to take the time, even us as pastors, go before the Lord Wednesday, confess any unrepentant and sin. See, what, what do we have in our hearts where we still want to be excellent, where we want to proclaim our excellencies? Where we say, well, look, we got all these areas of my past that I want to prove that I'm good. Jesus doesn't want us to bring anything of ourselves to the table. There's nothing good in us. I know in our society, for me to say that, it's like, oh, you're such a, you're such a hateful person. That's totally politically incorrect. <laughs> Please understand what I'm saying. There's nothing good enough in us that's good enough for God. Because he demands perfect holiness. And once we realize that, then we say, God, you made us holy. It's about your excellencies. So then what do we need to bring to God's table? Deal with it. Allow the gospel to be our fulfillment, allow our identities to be shaped not by what we want to achieve, but what God wants to do in us, break us down. Then Thursday makes sense. And say, God, I'm afraid now. I, I, I realize that I don't have much to bring. I, the, the neighbors, I got nothing to share with them. You know, younger people, what do I got to preach to them? I got nothing to offer. And that's when you say, God, I'm a broken vessel. Give me courage to live for you. How can I live for you? And then Friday, God, thank you. for It says pray, thanking God for his mercy. As the one who has tasted his mercy, ask God for true humility so that you can show your mercy towards others. The moment you forget, and I forget that we are recipients of God's mercy, is the moment we start getting proud. And we start saying, look at all these new people coming in. Look at these non-Christians coming in. They're going to damage the building, <laughs> right? Man, they're going to come here and mess everything up. Man, our kids, we, our kids are going to interact with other kids. We have bad influence. How are you going to reach people when we think that we've kind of achieved something? Right? It, it's that mercy where we're like, God, I haven't achieved anything. It's all about Jesus. It's all about me not deserving it. And people can tell when you engage them if you're an agent of mercy or an agent of pride. And then Saturday, before we come back next week, next week we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. And we do have the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. So this is a perfect transition. Saturday, the prayer request says, pray with anticipation for the new building Pray for the non-Christians that he will draw to FCBC Walnut as a result of expanded ministries. How might God use you to reach people for Christ? I firmly believe this, and I know our leaders do too, is that if we become a church of broken, humble people with stories of mercy and redemption, and if we pray saying, God, bring the non-Christian, my heart is ready now. 
bring the non-Christian, my heart is ready now. Our hearts are ready. That will Jesus not bring his unsaved elect here to hear the gospel proclaimed, to plant seeds, to be discipled because our church is filled with individuals who says it's not about us, it's not about how good we are, but it's about what we want to give to the people. Beloved, that's how we're gonna move as one corporate body into that building. Understanding that that building's not for us. That's what I mean by that. That we understand that everything's a gift from God, then that building is about reaching the people and people truly need the Lord, okay? Let's pray. Father, we come before you remembering the days when we didn't fully understand the gospel. And you knew that we needed not just the preaching of the truth, but we needed people, mature believers, to come and share with us, to walk with us, to teach us your ways and to teach us your word. Father, now it's our turn. The Great Commission applies to every professing believer. Help us, Lord, to look to you daily. Do your work in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to put down and put away any pride that we have or any hidden sin that seeks to proclaim our own excellencies or that moves us to proclaim our excellencies and help us to surrender to you so that you can become the most excellent praise and boast and proclamation that we share. Father, I pray that you would do your work in every single person's heart sitting here today. And if anybody who doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that you would draw them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.